Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Episode 14, here we are, Secrets of Christ, the book is the Gospel of John, Lecture Divina, by Romuald Simeon, yours truly, and it's the Bible, the letters from your father, the life of Jesus Christ, the public life of Jesus Christ, and there's such a great excitement in today's chapter of John 6, because I, I would call it, before I would call, uh, I called one of the sections the, uh, where Jesus is on a roll, where everything seems to be going right. And now this is a session of frustration. I don't know if you ever had the experience of preparing maybe a lecture or teaching or some presentation and after a lot of expert reading and insight going from one book to the other and trying to impress people and say well this is so important this is this is a, a great teaching here i hope you can uh, get the uh, feeling and the enthusiasm that i have and I can transfer it to you. Well, here's a time where it doesn't work. Frustration. A time of frustration. Jesus at Bethsaida. Jesus at Bethsaida. The 12,000 people or five to 15,000 people and five loaves and two fishes where he works this great miracle of people going to going to the Passover in crowds on the east bank of the Jordan from Bethsaida, there north Galilee, where this big city is, Bethsaida, the Decapolis, ten, ten towns on this side, and the people are on their way to Jerusalem, going down the east bank of the Jordan River that brings them to Jericho and across into Jerusalem. And he feeds them. He gives them great teaching. He gives them teaching of his identity, of his mission on earth, that you know, trying to impress them that he is the Messiah. And strange enough, that's exactly what happens. He does impress them, but he impresses them in a way where they don't just don't get the message. They just don't get the real message. Maybe some did. Uh, John uh, doesn't tell us all the details. I'm sure those that went to Jerusalem, then they later expected him to come down for the Passover, and maybe they're when they got there, they were acclaiming people and say, well, 
And we, we think he's coming. We think he's coming. But this is the week before. And they, they're impressed. The elders are impressed. The leaders of this group, of this caravan of people going down to Jerusalem are impressed. And they don't want to go there. They stop. They stop. They want to impress Jesus. They they, they want to tell him, yes, yeah, he seems to be the Messiah. But what idea do they have of who Messiah is? Do they have the idea of what Jesus is trying to say? Apparently not. Apparently not. This is a time very much of frustration. The apostles are there and they're confused and they have to go to Capernaum and to take the boat to go to Capernaum. It's, it's getting late. And in fact, they do leave for Capernaum in the boat without Jesus because these people now want to acclaim Jesus. They had just gathered 13 baskets of the leftovers from this great miracle of feeding the multitude. Pass it over to these people or give it out to the poor in Bethsaida. But whatever it is, Jesus is planned now to go to Capernaum, which is a big city on the other shore of Galilee, on the west shore, northwest. And they're going to go there and to the great city of Capernaum. But he, he's been hesitated. He's been stopped because now they want to claim him. He said, well, we'll make you king. We'll back you up. We'll be your forerunners. What? Forerunners of what? Are they forerunners of the Messiah who's going to ask for sacrifice, who asks for faith in him? No, they have their own attitude, their own mind. He gave us all this food. Wow. It's like you don't want to get rid of Santa Claus. You want presents every day. Yes, we will give you our acclaim. We will back you up as long as you take care of us. Apparently that is the attitude even of many present-day Christians. Sad to say, I think, sometimes I myself did that. Lord, give us to stay our daily bread. And as long as this keeps coming, as long as I can trust in you, feed me like you feed the birds of the air. And I'll give acknowledgement. But when it comes to labor for Jesus, labor for the bread, labor to share it with others and to give. The receiving is always easy. It's easy to receive. All we have to do is keep our hands out. All we have to do is say, yes, yes, this is, this is wonderful. It sounds like the churches of prosperity. 
long as we praise God, as long as we sing to him, as long as we proclaim him, yes, he'll take care of us. Well, we know it's true and it's not true. It's true and it's not true. Jesus now does it. It's not his time to be proclaimed Messiah. This is the beginning of his public life. He wants their souls. He wants to give to them and to take care of them, to be the shepherd. But now they have an agenda of their own. So he goes up the mountain and he lets them go by. He lets the apostles go by. This is one of the few times that he went just by himself, let the apostles go on the journey. Not wait for me. I'll meet you in Capernaum. And he goes to pray. He'll say, well, what have we done? A miracle has been worked. They begin to recognize who I am, my identity. I'm not just a prophet, but they don't see with my eyes. There's a lot more to be done. Perseverance. Believing in the Lord when your agenda is not fulfilled. To do his work. That's the essence of being a Christian. To do his work, no matter what. So, Jesus cannot be bought. They go their way, and he goes his way. So, he has to catch up to the apostles, and in the night, they're going only about five miles by boat from Bethsaida to Capernaum. But the wind comes up, a storm comes up with the boat of the apostles on their way. Everything is not always perfect. So they are being pulled one side or the other the ship is going backwards, <laughs> making any headway. They had to take the sails down because the wind is coming from the other side and pushing them the other way. They're against the wind. And they here they have almost a, a night of rowing, of trying to go against the waves, to go the short distance. But when you're struggling, when things are going wrong, time also goes long. The time doesn't pass. You struggle against troubles and and when the, it seems that the Lord is not there. And the winds are blowing and you're almost floundering. The water is coming to the ship. You're afraid you might sink. And you have to cast the Care aside and just all of you get to the oars and they're struggling and struggling and make very little headway. And then 
towards dawn, in the middle of the night, but towards dawn, Jesus is walking on the water. And they say, hey, there's a spirit, a ghost. They can't see exactly how close he is to the shore, if he's going by the shore or going on the water. And it seems one and the other. Well, they call out to him, Lord, we perish, we're sinking. And he comes, you of little faith. I'm with you. I know what's happening. I know you're in a storm. I know you seem to think that I've abandoned you. You think that I'm not caring, that I don't see it. You have to explain things to me. You're struggling. Your prayer is more and more insistent. And he comes into the boat. And the wind dies down. Not only the wind dies down. Amazing. Now they're in a port. They're right there at Capernaum. They don't know how they got there. All of a sudden, they feel confident. They feel he has heard them. And that's true how we feel. Things overwhelm us. The storm is, the wind is blowing against us. We can't make any headway. But there, once Jesus is back in the boat, once the storm is ended and the winds, even the winds, and this, and this rain obeys the Lord. We feel safe again. And we're in port. We're safe. So they come into Capernaum. What's lying ahead? This is, I would say that this is what probably one of the greatest teachings that Jesus gives. He's giving a teaching now, he's going to give a teaching in Capernaum that astounds. It astounds persons for 2,000 years. Because he say the greatest teaching that he's, he's giving, he's really going to proclaim that he is the, the Messiah. He's the living temple of the Father. He is the temple of God. And he's going to say it at the great school, the great synagogue at Capernaum. The apostles are beginning to feel at home there. That is at least Matthew, and not Matthew, I'm sorry, but at least Andrew and Peter who had homes there, and John and James. So they arrive there. And what do we, they expect? Well, that's the great school, the great yeshiva. Second in the nation, second only to Jerusalem. And you have the rabbis, the elders, the Pharisees, the scribes, 
awaiting there. No. If you think that trouble was leaving, had him at the side of where the people didn't understand, and the people were going against him, and the people were trying to make him out to be what he was not to be at that moment. The Jews were very different. The Pharisees were very different. One thing about them, they were rigid. No changes allowed. If you go through the whole Gospel of John to the time of Jesus' death and resurrection and after, you find no changes allowed. They have fixed their view of Jesus. They have already heard about what he had done at the temple in Jerusalem when he cast out the money changers. They would have none of that. They were rigid in all of the rules and regulations and the oral interpretations that had to be followed and never let up on them. They blocked Jesus' teaching as they blocked him. They did not accept him. They would not accept him. They reinterpreted all of his words, all of his works, his miracles. No. Whatever miracle he worked from here on to them had to be, yes, we had to admit. They had to admit. He was sent, seen by others, proclaimed by others, but no matter what it was, it had to be reinterpreted in a negative way. They get the meaning. <laughs> Many times, whatever good you try to do is reinterpreted in a negative way. I won't go through the details of that because the listener knows it very well. From those that you expect to be those who back you, your own family and friends. Yes, as long as things go along merrily where you all find agreement. But to get acceptance when there's no agreement is a different story. So they saw Jesus as a man. As a man who did not have training, who was not did not have the key of knowledge, a degree from the yeshiva, who was not accepted by the elders, not accepted by them, that he was a self-proclaimed preacher going around saying that he was a prophet, that he heard words from the Father and the Spirit, and that he was doing their will, and then showing it by working miracles to show connection to his Father and to the power of divinity. But no, power of Satan. Well, did they ever see Satan any time in their lives or in their history 
where Satan did good works, where Satan brought people back to God, where people were, were brought from the seven capital sins to seven basic virtues, where they went from bad to good, good to bad. They know it was not the work of Satan. But now his teachings, everything that he did, they saw him as a deceiver. One who attacked the law. The observer of the law, the one who was law itself, divine law. They were to see always as a deceiver who was breaking the law. We'll have many examples of that, especially the mantra that Jesus had to do miracles on a Sabbath day. So, they see Jesus coming, not to welcome him into Capernaum, but to be opposed, to be checked. And lo and behold, these elders from Bethsaida also showed up when Jesus went to teach in the temple, to teach at the yeshiva, to teach in this great synagogue, and to reveal to them that Messiah had come because a great teaching would be given here. Jesus would begin to declare here that he was the living temple of the Father. He, personally, in his person, in his body and blood, in his teachings, he was the Ark of the Covenant. He was the one who now was to come into the world to bring people into understanding that the, the, the temple of God is not one made by hands, but one, a living temple. This is very astounding. This is the chapter in John's Gospel that is very confusing to people who do not believe what he said. I'll pre preamble it. The people from Bethsaida nodded, wanted Jesus to work another miracle. One miracle isn't enough to put us on the road to the Lord. Another miracle. Oh, this wonderful thing that happened to me. Oh, and what, what's, what's coming next? And they, the Bethsaidans challenged Jesus. Work another miracle, work another sign so we know that you are the Messiah. Jesus said, said 
I'll give you the miracle of the manna of heaven. The manna, the bread from heaven, living bread. And they're saying, and the rabbis are going along with them and saying, yes, we know that Moses is true because the great miracle that he did for 40 years in the desert. He called down manna from heaven because we were starving. It's connected to this miracle of Bethsaida. Yes. And he fed us. He fed us in the desert. He fed us physical food. And we lived. And we survived. And every day we had to go out. We had to have the faith to go out and gather it so that we could survive and eat. So our food was manna in the desert. And some of this manna was put into the ark with the Ten Commandments, the Ark of the Covenant. With Moses, that was the entire temple. The entire temple was the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. From there, God would speak to Moses. It was presence, bread, nourishment from God. Give us this day our daily bread. Your interpretation of the bread. What is it? It could be the physical bread. Yes, it can. When we go to our meals, we lift up the dish and say, thanks be to God. He gives us bread from heaven. This dish that I'm going to eat comes from the hands of God. But there's much more. There's much more. Jesus said, yes, from Moses, he received the manna from the skies, from where you did not know where it came from. It appeared every day. But you, you died. It isn't the bread I'm going to speak about. I will give you living bread. I will be living bread. I will give you blood. It became more and more difficult for these people. Without the eyes of faith, whatever God says, whatever God presents in one's life, is not understood. Because we have to have blind faith, the eyes of Jesus, to see with his eyes. So let's look with his eyes. Because if we don't look at it with his eyes in chapter 6 of John's Gospel and talk to him and listen to him and respond to him and absorb what he's saying, we don't know what he's saying. We can't project ourselves onto Jesus. Well, let's look into the word, the blood. Blood, the sign of life. When blood flows into us, 
living blood. Living blood. If you do not have living blood, it doesn't help. Blood may also means connection. It means we're blood brothers. We're covenant testimony. The blood of God flows into us. Testimony. What does God ask of us? Gratitude. Fancy word is Eucharist. Blood, if it's dead, is of no use. That's unclean. Blood is unclean if it's dead blood. Judas paid for the blood of Jesus. He received that money. He, he, he paid for the Pharisees and Caiaphas gave him a bag of 30 pieces of silver. But when he tried to give it back to them, it was blood money. They could not use it for the temple. Money, blood can be two, go two ways. Jesus is living blood. I will give you bread from heaven and blood, my life. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man as bread and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. Yes, and in that flesh and blood, I will speak to you. Because I am the living temple. As God spoke to Moses through the temple of the Ark of the Covenant and then spoke to the Jewish high priest or to Zechariah in the temple in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was resting. In the living temple, Jesus speaks to us. He speaks to us and we respond to him and we become connected in covenant, in testimony. Sounds like very confusing teaching. And in fact, when I read, read some of the books, especially if I read books from non-Catholic commentators, they say, this is a very difficult chapter to understand. And they be, begin to give all kinds of mystical meanings, symbolic meanings. And when I read it, and read it with the eyes of Jesus, I don't see the symbolism. This is my body. This is my flesh for the salvation of the world, for the nourishment of souls. Could he say it in any way that is not clearer? The apostles understood it. The fathers of the church understood it. All through the centuries, through 2,000 years and more, 
the, the mass and the liturgy and the body and blood of Christ, that he, what he established at the Last Supper is the center of unity with, with God, the center of unity. He continues to live. He continues to live. He continues to mystically die. Not a new death of Jesus on the cross. A continuance. Because he never dies. The past is always present to God. And the future is always present. And Jesus is always present. It's interesting because this this fact that throughout my life I've always been open and should be open to persons who are baptized in the Lord, who are seeking Jesus, even if they don't have the full teaching of the truth. So let's say in a simple word, non-Catholics. I've listened to ministers who are in the spirit, listen to them on television and radio, personally, and it always impressed me that I have never once in my life, maybe you're different, in my life, I have never heard a sermon proclaiming the body and blood of Jesus Christ from a non-Catholic, a non-worshipper, a non-Orthodox, a non-apostolic preacher from the apostolic churches that follow the apostles, the church established by Jesus Christ, I've never heard them give a consistent teaching on John 6. They don't give that teaching also in the avoid where St. Paul talks about the Eucharist in Corinthians. When he says that if you receive unworthily, you receive the death of Jesus. You receive, you do not know what you are receiving. Do not receive his body worthily. But here we go. Jesus not only says in chapter 6 of John, this is my flesh given for the salvation of the world. This is not only my blood to, for you to drink. Eat and drink. Be nourished with it. Bodily nourished? He's talking about souls. He's talking about recognizing Messiah. Where we have to have a supernatural faith in order to believe. 
I often wonder how people can receive Jesus in a way that is not sacrosanct. One time we had to receive him at the kneeling at the communion rail, even with sometimes a cloth over that rail, so put our hands underneath it and be told this is the body and blood of Christ. If a crumb drops from that, it's a sacred spot. It has to be washed by anointed hands. People can say, well, all right, I put this in my mouth because it's bread. I'll drink it from a cup because it's wine. And run out as fast as we can from church without talking to Jesus. Talking to neighbors. Make the temple of God a church hall. A hall. <laughs> church hall is an oxymoron. If it's a temple, it's not a hall. But get back to the scripture. How better, I ask you, how better could Jesus say it? How better could he stress it when it says that many did not believe in him? He was insane. He's crazy. This is not teaching that they expected. Does he really think we're like cannibals? That we are going to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Well, the early Christians in the catacombs, when they went before the pagans and said, what do you believe of Jesus Christ? And the pagans who did not have faith who thought they, who could see with their eyes and their minds, but did not believe in faith. It says, the Christians are cannibals. They really believe and die saying that they ate the flesh and blood of a divinity of Jesus Christ. No explanation is needed. They know. They did it. And they were saved. They were nursed. Can we say what other way Jesus can say this is my body, this is my blood. He says the same thing at the Last Supper. We're all apostolic followers of Jesus 
wrong? Was Jesus insane? So, this is the day of confusion. Jesus takes his apostles away after this teaching where he's condemned by the Pharisees. With the Bethsaidans now leave and don't follow him anymore. They've heard enough. This is insanity. And Jesus sits with the apostles and he talks to them personally. And he says, will you also go away? It's time for truth. It's time to make a commitment. And all of them make a commitment through Peter. He says, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of life. You are the son of God. And Jesus says, yes, all of you, but there's one here who has a different view. He stayed, he could took care of the money Jesus didn't throw him out. Jesus doesn't throw anybody out, ever. It's each person's choice. He tries to keep us with himself. He doesn't cast out any lamb. Lambs wander. They go away. They do not follow the word of the master. If you're one of those lambs, he's ready, come back. He's still searching for you. You may be seeking, but he's searching because he is the living temple. When we read this chapter, it requires Strength of meditation, strength of faith, and that is always given by him, because in the Eucharist, he's calling for us, and he presents us to the Father. He presents us to, through him, his blood and his body and his flesh. It's like when we eat food. A sort of a physical miracle occurs. When we eat food, it transforms itself into us, into our flesh and blood. There's a transformation. When we eat the food of Jesus, he transforms us into his body and blood. God bless you. 
and pray for me. Hello, God's beloved. I'm Annabelle Mosley, author, professor of theology, and host of Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. I invite you to listen in and find inspiration along this sacred journey we're traveling together to make our lives a masterpiece and, with God's grace, become saints. Join me, Annabelle Mosley, for Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. God bless you. Remember, you're never alone. God is always with you. We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.